0: All right, so, it takes a village. If you can turn to Nehemiah 2, verses 1 to 5. Nehemiah 2, 1 to 5. I'll just read it from the screen. (laughs) In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Etaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Next verse. Why should my face not look so sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Rise and build, it takes a village. Um, When, I guess, we'll just, I guess, have a backstory. The story of Nehemiah just doesn't start from Nehemiah. It actually starts, I want to say maybe in Ezra, I think. Um, But... King Nebuchadnezzar had came and exiled the people, the Jews, from Judah to Babylon, to Babylon and um, to conquer to conquer Jerusalem. So he took them out of what they knew as their home and said, you know what, guys, you're gonna be exiled to Babylon and you're gonna be here. And they were exiled for about 50, 50 years, I believe, living in a foreign land, living in another land, before King Cyrus, I believe, came along and issued a decree that would send them back to Jerusalem, send them back to rebuild, send them back to build up their temple, build up their city. Um, so in chapter one, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's brother comes to him and is um, telling him how Jerusalem is going. And he's like, it's it's in shambles. Um, the walls have been broken down, the gates have been burned. It's not, it's not what you would think, right? And you would think that after 50 years, after this amount of time, when you're going back to build your home, it's going to be awesome. You're expecting good things to happen. But the people there didn't want, the people around um, Jerusalem didn't want, them, didn't want them there. They wanted the exiles to go back. So everything that they had spent time building, they burnt down. They, um, they destroyed. So just imagine you being out of your home and you're starting to rebuild it. And you're, you're, it's just in shambles. So Nehemiah had a reason to be upset. He had a reason to be sad. He had a reason... I guess just to be to be upset, um, but he took up the responsibility to go home and to rebuild it. Um, I remember when I was in school, when I was in college, I was involved in a lot of organizations, like a lot for only God knows what reason, but I was involved in a lot of things, and as I was involved, I was like, you know what, guys, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, after I graduated, I'm not coming back. I'm, I was high-key stressed, especially senior year. Um, I didn't didn't want to go back, didn't want nothing to do with any organization. But the closer I got to graduation, the more I realized that, I mean, these organizations are my family, right? I was part of ISA. Shout out to, <laughs> shout out to ISA. Um, I was part of the dance team. I was part of a sorority. I was... I was heavily involved, so leaving was kind of bittersweet. Yes, I wanted to you know, go on and become something great in life, but I also missed these organizations, which helped shape me throughout my whole four years of school. But um, even after I graduated, I'd still try to check in, still try to go back. If Fever was having an event, I'd said, okay, guys, let me go back to Fever, let's see what's going on. If Essence had dance practice and, um, needed help with moves or routines or needed help with, okay, this show is coming up. What idea can we have? What what can we do? I'd go up to practices, make sure that everything is good. Um, Sorority-wise, if we had programs, events, gatherings, I made sure I I would try to be there. And yes, we appointed presidents of these organizations, leaders, captains of all these organizations, but I just went back because for me, it was family. I felt a sense of connection to that. So I can understand Nehemiah's sadness that my home, my city is is being burnt down. It's in shambles. He takes up that responsibility to go back home and rebuild it. So the first thing I gathered from um, the story of Nehemiah is that he owned it. He felt a responsibility to help because he was connected to the community and immediately took the charge to pioneer the rebuilding of the wall. He didn't wait to see if someone else was going to build it. Were there leaders in the community? Yes. Were there officials that they appointed to take care of the people? Yes. Did they rise up to build the wall? No. Nehemiah was in the king's palace, a cupbearer in the king's palace, and said, man, my home is, it's not looking too good. I need to to go, I need to go. He could have easily said, I'm praying for you. It's gonna be okay. And (laughs) when people say I'm praying for you, legit that was their prayer. I'm praying for you. That, like, they, don't, they don't go back home. <laughs> they don't go back home to pray. I'm praying for you. That that was the prayer. But, or he could have sent money and said, you know what, um, told his brothers, I, I'm going to give you this amount of money. Go back home. Go rebuild it. Let me know the progress. He didn't do any of that. He told the king, I need to go home. I need to go home. I need to rebuild. Um, and then when I, think, when I thought of that, I thought, you know, there are other people in the world or other leaders in our world that owned, owned it, took responsibility, and didn't wait. We have people like Steve Jobs, who um, was a co-founder of Apple. There was Microsoft. He didn't have to, he didn't have to spend time to create Apple. He saw a need. He thought technology could be different. He thought it could be better. He thought of more innovative ways that things could happen and basically changed the way we think about technology today with the introduction of Apple. We have someone like Nelson Mandela who fought for justice, who fought for freedom. Were there other people, were there other leaders in South Africa at the time? Yes, but he didn't wait, he didn't ask to see if someone else was doing this or if, if someone else was going to step up to the plate. He took that charge, took that responsibility upon himself to rebuild South Africa. We have Shirley Chisholm. She was the first black woman elected to Congress. She was the first black woman to have a seat at the table to make sure that she had a voice or gave a voice for those who couldn't speak up for themselves. Were there other people who could have stepped up to the plate and taken on that responsibility? Yes, there were. Did they do it? No, they didn't. But these people said, okay, you know what? It's my responsibility. I'm, I'm gonna take the charge. Um, I feel like sometimes we, we get scared or we feel like, well, somebody else is going to do it. Um, I don't want to join guest services. Somebody else can hold, can hold the sign. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> Some people are, are thinking that. I mean, why do I have to join? They have enough people on the team. Or um, why do I have to join choir? They have, they have enough singers. I mean, if you, if you have the ability to do something, why not do it? I feel like we're all waiting for a calling. We're all waiting to say, well, you know, I'm waiting for that calling. I'm waiting for, you know, God to speak to me. So I have that, I know what I'm going to do. You know, I have that ability to do something. But, you know, sometimes that vibe, that calling doesn't come immediately. And it's not a bad thing to wait for it. You want to make sure that you're working, walking, and working in God's purpose for your life. But until that purpose comes, if you have the ability to, to do something, if you have the ability to help, why not help? Why wait, right? If you can, if you can sing, don't wait for God to say, "Okay, go ahead and sing." Get up there and just let your let God use you in the way He wants to use you. If you know how to write, if you know how to act or do spoken word or whatever it is, don't wait for someone to call you. If you if you see that there's a need for it, if you see that um, people are requiring it, don't wait. Just get up. On it, take that responsibility. Um, I think that's something that our generation sometimes struggles with, even me myself. Like, okay, I'm tired, I don't wanna do this. Um, somebody else will do it. But we can't continuously wait for, for other people. Um, Nehemiah, he didn't wait, um, but pioneered the, pioneered the change he wanted to see. He was a cup bearer with a vision, one a mission. A cupbearer. bearer. Um, <laughs> see how that rhymed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was a cupbearer. bearer. Um, I remember when PJ first started the series, he spoke about like odd jobs, like a cupbearer. bearer. Um, but when I was reading the book of Nehemiah, I'm thinking legit a cupbearer. Like he didn't even pour, he doesn't even pour the drink into the, into the wine. I mean the, the drink into the cup. He literally takes the cup, gives it to the king, the king drinks it, he takes a cup back. He does it again next day, comes back. Again, next day, literally just takes a cup, right? Just takes a cup and gives it to the king. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, he holds a cup for the king. Um, I, like, and I wondered, like, why would the whole community listen to a cup bearer? What is it about a cupbearer that, I guess, they thought, okay, it's time to rise and build. Nehemiah said, let's go, let's rise, and they rose. So if we can turn our Bibles to Nehemiah 2, verses 11 to 18, Nehemiah 2. It says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall, Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. So at this time, oh, okay, sorry. Oh, okay, yes. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding, so they began this good work. Why listen to a cup bearer? A, cup, a person who literally holds a cup every single day of the year, that's all he does. Why, what, what is it that he would have said or could have said that would cause the people to gather together and say, okay, Nehemiah said, let's rebuild this wall, we're gonna rebuild this wall. Um, I thought a cupbearer was someone who I kind of thought of a cupbearer as like a slave in a sense, um, like a really lowly position. He wasn't. He didn't have some. He wasn't someone of importance. Um, but reading, I realized that was com- the complete opposite. A cupbearer is someone of high status within the king's palettes. Um To be his hold the, to hold his cup is like an extreme honor. You have to be someone who is you know, honorable, someone who he can rely on. People are consistently trying to poison the king. So he would also have to drink his, take a drink of his whatever's in his cup, make sure that um, the king doesn't die. So he's literally every single day putting his life on the line for the king. So um, why would they listen to him? Because he was real, because he was authentic. He was genuine. He wasn't someone who... Um, said yesterday and then said no tomorrow. His yes had to be yes, his no had to be no, because the king had to trust every word that came out of his mouth. If he said, um, this this is good for you, the, cup, the king would drink it. If this is bad or if there's something in this, don't drink it. The king had to take him for his word. Um, I think in Nehemiah 5.17, I realized that, I realized how wealthy he was um, because he had to feed feed all the um all the Jews, all the people who were working at the wall for fifty two days I believe they spent to build the wall so he was there every single day building them that's how I knew that his status wasn't a lowly status he wasn't someone that was just like a water boy or um someone who I guess was insignificant his he had a purpose he had he, he added value to the king. I mean, there's so many unlikely jobs that people think of that we don't think that pay high amounts of money. Someone who drives a Ferrari, who teaches someone who how to drive a Ferrari makes about, I think, 90k a year. Literally, all you have to do is sit in a Ferrari and teach someone how to drive a Ferrari. And you're making 90K. When I went to school for (laughs) four years, like, I mean, (laughs) all you have to do is teach someone how to ride a Ferrari. A person who takes care of a private island makes 100K. People who write fortune cookies make make 70K. (laughs) Like, there is money to be made in this world. Money. The people who, like, you know, air traffic controllers, 120K. Like, yeah. Yeah. They make... They make money, so yeah. Some of these skills might not be <laughs> the skills might not be transferable, but I mean, they're making money. They're good. So his his position wasn't something that was that was lowly. Um, so I guess who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was genuine. He was trustworthy. He was reliable. He was modest. He was courageous. He was someone. He was someone who, one, the king could rely upon and also someone the people could trust. That's the only way they would they would listen to him. Um, it takes courage in this day and age to be real, to be authentic, to be you. Um, in, a lot, in this time where, like, reality TV is... It's just, it's just the thing, right? Reality TV is what's controlling our... Daily Lives, Real Housewives of whatever. Um, I don't know. I don't watch it, but like all these shows are what what people aim to aim to be, or they're they're um, trying to resemble these lifestyles, but they're not real, right? Their reality TV is is it's not real, um, and so to be you, to be authentic, to be transparent is really hard because everybody's expecting you to act a certain way. Everyone's expecting us to act like this girl or like this guy, but it takes courage to really be who you are or who God called you to be. Um, Paul, for example, had to write a letter to the Corinthians when they were messing up. And, and Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, one to three, he speaks on how he had to talk to them and how he was nervous. Like when I, when I first came to you, I didn't know, the only thing I knew was God. That's the only thing I knew. And I came to you and with weakness, fear, and trembling. So he, at that point, he was transparent. He was open. I didn't know anything but God, but I came to you nonetheless, scared out of my mind, and tried to preach the gospel to you. People will only, will only gravitate, gravitate towards you if you're someone who's real, someone who they can relate to, someone who they feel is genuine. I'm not going to come to you if I feel like you're about to be fake. You can't help me build what I need to build. I can't trust you to help me get to my next goal or trust you to help me get to my next step in life if everything that you're saying to me is fake, if I can't trust you. Um, so, yes. So um, in order to be someone who we look up to, someone who we want to build with, we have to be able to trust, we have to be able to trust you. And that leads me to my last point on community. Um, when Nehemiah spoke to the people and said, let us build, they all gathered and all rallied around him to build. It wasn't like, oh, well, maybe this group of people will help him build, or this group of people will sit down and do nothing. Everybody got in from parents to children, leaders, priests, sons of Whoever, everybody got in. If we can take our, turn our Bibles to, I don't know what the next one is. Hebrew, oh, nope, that's not it. <laughs> sorry. Um, in Nehemiah 3, sorry, in Nehemiah 3, you'll see how everybody gathered. Nehemiah 2, he says, Let's gather, gather together, let us rebuild. Nehemiah 3, from verse 1, you st- he starts listing them out. One by one, this person gathered, the son of this person gathered to build this east side of the wall. Um, The sons of X, Y, and Z gathered to build the west side of the wall. Everybody gathered every single day, day and night. When the wall was being threatened and people wanted to come back and destroy the wall, Nehemiah sent people to arm the wall at all times, 24/7. This was not a game. We are rebuilding our home. We are taking it back. You're not going to disrupt what it is that we're doing, and we're going to stand here as a community and build it up together. A community is—it's like a family unit. It's a group of people who share common interests, common goals, aspirations. Some a group where you can come together and get resources, um, get help. Right? If I don't have a community. I can't do everything by myself. I can't expect to build by myself. I can't expect to advance in life by myself. There's a reason why two is better. Two is better than one. Um, your community can be your school environment, it can be your church. it can be your place of work. It can be wherever you find yourself in various organizations. Those are your communities. Um, and Again, back in Nehemiah, all hands were in deck. Nobody was idle. And I'd like to think that because of that, there was a sense of pride in them as they built their community. So let's bring it to Emerge, right? This is our home. This is our community. We all belong, or majority of us belong to various groups, various organizations, various teams. How are we helping rebuild our teams? How are we helping build up the vision of Emerge, right? Just because we are in this space and there are walls and ceilings and lights and everything. That, that's not emerge. Emerge is a people, right? Emerge is all the people that are within it. How are we helping each other build? If Benjamin is going to, um, I don't know, the technical seminary school, how am I helping him reach his goal? How am I helping him reach his vision to complete? If someone is going to become a doctor and I probably went through medical school myself, or I probably went through the MCATs. How am I helping that person with resources that they need in order to become a doctor? Not that, oh yeah, you're you're going through medical school. Medical school, that's nice. I mean, I I went too. Conversation dead. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, how'd you pass your exams? What exams did you take? Um, when did you take your exams? What study materials did you use? Do you have any more of the study materials left? How are we helping each other? Within Emerge, build. That's where we come back to owning it, taking up the responsibility to make sure that my next brother, my next sister is rising as I'm rising, right? It's not that I'm chasing my dreams, I'm building up my dreams, but I'm leaving this person on the sideline to find a way to figure out how to rebuild theirs. That's not community, right? And I don't think that's what Nehemiah intended. When he saw that the wall was broken, when he saw that it was In shambles, he took it upon himself to make sure that he went out to rebuild. He made sure he included the people that was in his community and said, this is not a me effort. It's not a me thing. I'm not here to boast of my own talents or my own capabilities. I'm not trying to take the glory. This is our home. This is our place. Let's rebuild our home. Let's build up our wall and emerge. Are we building up our space? Are we building up our people? Are we building up each other? we are getting ready to move into our space, right? Our space. Are we building, are we getting ready to to build that? Are we taking steps to make sure that we're in the right space and the right opportunity to make sure that that space our space, our home is being rebuilt. You might not be able to offer finances. You might not be able to give money. What talents, what services, what ideas are you offering? Nothing that you have is too small. Nothing that you have is too little. Make sure that you find a way to build. Trust me, when it's, when it's, set, when it's all said and done, when all the chairs are in there, when all the lights are up, when PJ gives his message, and every, when everything is going well, you want to be able to sit down and say, I took part. I took part of this, right? Our parents probably, you know, spent time, money, resources and everything that they had to make build this build JHB. So they can now sit in JHB and say this is my church. This is my space. This is my home. Can you take ownership of something if you haven't given anything to it? No, it doesn't work that way. So as we're getting ready to build, as we're getting ready to Rise and move into our new space. Let's take on that challenge and say, "Well, what can I do? How can I help? What is required of me? What services can I give? Do they need chairs? I mean, I might not be able to buy the chairs, but I can, I can stack them. I can, I can, I can put them where they need to be. Do they need lights? I mean, I don't know nothing about lights, but I'm so willing to learn and I'm willing to help set them up. Don't wait for a calling. Don't wait for a call or a charge to say." guys we need this we need that see it know what's going on be in the spirit be in the spirit or just be in the know be in the know know what's going on in your community right your our group our church know what's going on know what the need is and don't wait if you see something on the floor don't wait for guest services to pick it up it's my home i mean honestly right if you go home and you see trash in your house are you going to wait for someone to pick it up No it's your house take ownership of your space um, if you're new and you've probably been coming for some time and you don't you don't have any community in a sense yet you don't know who's going to help you build we are here we want to help you build right we want to help you we want to help you build we want to make sure that you get to where it is that God has called you to get to. Whatever, there's so much resources, so many resources here that are willing to help, willing to offer thoughts, ideas, anything that you need, we're here to help you. So if you're new and you don't know how I'm gonna serve or how to get into a community or how to find people to help me build, we're always here, we're always in the outside in the lobby after the service. Meet any one of us, any person on the dream team. This whole most of everybody here is the dream team. Which is amazing. So, at any point in time, any person that you talk to, we're here to help you. Um, and I think that concludes that concludes my message. Um, if we can, <laughs> if we can all rise, please. If we can all rise and.